Um, I'm just going to read now from God's Word, um, and that is this morning from Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 31 and running right through to the end to 46. So that's Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, and I believe it will be on the screen as well if you want to follow. It's entitled, The Sheep and the Goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was ill and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or ill, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Just going to invite Judy up and we'll just pray for her before she comes to share. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have access to it. And we thank you that it is your message to us. Father, we pray now for Judy as she comes to speak to us. We pray that you will fill her with your Holy Spirit and anoint her words with your authority. Father, may you open our hearts and our ears to hear what you may say to us this morning. And we ask all of this in the authority of Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I was uh, very privileged last night to go and uh, see Bill Bailey, uh, the comedian at uh, Barclay Card Arena. And uh, he had two pedals. Uh, one was a kind of jazz blues pedal that he put on to sort of change the mood. And the other was this brilliant disco pedal that suddenly went on and he kind of, you know, suddenly go into some moves. And uh, I, I felt quite envious of both pedals, actually, knowing that I was going to be speaking on what I'm speaking on today. Uh, because it's a paradox. There is 
there's some really beautiful moments that probably we love in this passage and that give us great joy and great encouragement. The simplicity of what we're called to do can make faith rise in us and think, I can give someone a drink, I can do that. And so it warms our hearts. But then there's some really difficult bits, aren't there? Uh, And I've got to be honest with you, I have struggled in preparation for today uh, because I think it's a a beautiful passage that I love, but it's also a passage that contains challenge. And we're looking at this as part of our series on the kind of paradoxes of the gospel. We've looked at strength and weakness. We're looking at rich and poor, dead and alive, the ands of the gospel. And sheep and goats is slightly a bit more of a weird one in terms of paradox. I'm not sure how paradoxical they are, but certainly when you look at the passage, there's something very conflicting about it because it's about grace and truth. It's about kindness and mercy, but also about judgment. So there is a paradox, actually, and there is a sense that that we identify and we think, well, am I a goat, am I a sheep? And I have good news for you about that, I think, in this lovely picture uh, of the goat and sheep, looking quite pally, actually, in this particular picture. Um, But sheep and goats was a great analogy, as always with Jesus. He starts from where people are. They would have known on the Palestinian hillsides the picture of many flocks that were a mixture of sheep and goats. And actually, superficially, if you looked, it was quite hard to see who was a sheep and who was a goat. You could look from a distance or look and just think, yeah, there's a, there's a flock of something. And again, Jesus is doing this deliberately because outside, perhaps, there was an easy mistake to make. Perhaps they weren't as distinguishable one from another. But he also had said and continued to say that he was the good shepherd that he would be the gate, the way that actually all of our sin, all of our neglect of some of the people that are mentioned in the passage, he would forgive us because of his great love. And in the book of Matthew, right at the beginning, in the chapter one of Matthew, we have heard that Jesus is the one who will come and save his people from their sins. So if you believe in Jesus today, even if you just said that prayer this morning, or even uh, first thing in the worship, even if you just said, I'm following you today, there is a sense that the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness of the shepherd is ours. And we are very firmly then a sheep. Because he says, the sheep will go to my right, and the right hand of God are those who are loved and saved and forgiven and rescued. And out of that comes the mercy that is described in this passage. Come the acts of grace, not to earn it, but out of it. And I think to me that's where some of the paradox might be, that we think that this passage is about got to do better and we start to spiral and we perhaps look at our week and think, well, who have I helped? Have I welcomed a stranger? I'm not sure I did. I walked past that person outside Sainsbury's. And guilt can start to crush in for all of us. And we can start to become a goat. We can have goat tendencies, if I may make so bold. I mean, you don't look very goaty, you look glorious. But, you know, we have that tendency to suddenly think it's all about our good works. It's all about our righteousness. And Jesus knew his audience. He knew that there were Pharisees there who thought that. And maybe they were the goats, we don't know. 
But certainly he knew there were people that in their own religion thought that that was enough. Whereas Jesus says, no, you will know me through relationship, not through religion. I don't know if you've come to visit us today and you're thinking about that. One thing I would love you to know is that we're here because of relationship with Jesus, not because of religion, not because of duty, not because we've got to-do lists of good things that we can do to achieve God's love. We have it and you have it available to you today. His grace, his mercy, his acceptance. And actually, the practice of the shepherd in the Palestinian times was to, at night, put the goats inside when it was cold. So he would know this practice of separating out the goats from the sheep, because the goats were more vulnerable. The goats could be picked off, the goats could die of cold, and the sheep had a kind of special place in the heart of the shepherd. The goats could be picked off. So there's a warning in this that Jesus is giving that, yes, I can be saviour, but am I Lord of your life? Do you know me and how will you know me? Well, the clues in the passage keep coming that we will know him through his people. We will know him through his reflection in many people that we encounter and meet. And Jesus has said he is the good shepherd who will lay down his life for his sheep. That's the great volume of love, the intensity of love, the magnificent love that he has for you and I. And we're wayward. We're wayward sheep with goat tendencies. But he loves us. And actually, he's not just loved us. He's died for us. He's laid down his life for his sheep. So what do we do then with the teaching that comes next? Uh, Pew, who've done many surveys that you might have come across on Twitter or on Facebook, asked Americans if the US had a responsibility to accept refugees. No group, racial by age, religious or political, was less supportive of that idea than white evangelical Protestants. Now, I don't, that breaks my heart. I don't know what it does to you. But actually, you think, how... What gospel are we reading if we don't see that actually this passage in itself has so many clues that we are called to love the stranger, that we are called to welcome people? Now, we know it's not as simple as that, but we do see the heart of it. And that statistic is quite shocking, actually, when we think about it, that we have so much here to be grateful for so much. And if we lose that gratitude, if we lose the gratitude that says, I am a sheep, I'm to the right, I'm blessed. And he actually says that in the passage, you are blessed, the people of God. How do we then show what that mercy has looked like? How do we share it? As some of you know that uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Korea working with North Korean defectors. And they are people who have been so repressed they don't even know the word love unless it's to do with their leader, Kim Jong-un. They're only taught the word love, not towards family, not towards children. Uh, they've only heard the word love towards him. And what he's done, this is how evil the regime is, if I can just rant for a minute, um, he's actually taken the gospel of Jesus that his grandfather knew and that his father knew a bit of, and he's turned it in to a worship of him. He's put his name, if you like, in place of God and Christ. So some of these North Koreans, when they're learning scripture, say, oh, I recognise this, it's what we were taught. Trust in him, lean not on your own understanding, and you think, well, hang on a minute, I'm hungry, I'm poor, I'm starving. And they, they jump into rivers and defect. 
And so one of the challenges for us on the trip was to try and explore what does love look like? And when you've not really known it, you might have felt something, but you didn't know how to give it a name. It's, it's quite a, a remarkable thing. The only thing I could compare it to is that film, I don't know if you remember the film Room, where the child grew up in a room, and that was all he knew for 14 years. And suddenly he's free, and he finds this world that he just didn't know. And it's like that for defectors. They're learning to make phone calls. They're learning that they can have more than three haircuts. Some of us have done that. I think I've only had two my whole life, so maybe. But do you know what I mean? They're, they, they, they're suddenly free. And what you see when you worship with them, what you see when you pray with these people is a phenomenal gratitude for that love. And some of them said, when we heard about the United Kingdom, we dreamt of living there. And I was able just one night to preach into North Korea by a radio station, which was one of the most exciting moments of my life. Um, it, it really was. And it was a, an off-the-cuff sudden thing that happened that I was invited in. I had no notes, no nothing. And uh, apparently I sounded a bit like I was giving the results of Eurovision at the beginning. <laughs> I said, hello, I greet you from the United Kingdom and I send love. And they said, they won't know what that means, Judy. So it wasn't a great start, but uh, I think I, it went from strength to strength after that. Um, I hope anyway <laughs> you have to take my word for it but um but really the message that i gave was the light shines in your darkness and the darkness will not put it out and the united kingdom do pray for you because i found that every time i spoke to someone and said our country pray for you they could not believe it because they said we are taught that we are the forgotten people unloved by the rest of the world so when we look at this passage and we see that actually Jesus is saying, however you treat the least of these is how you love me. And that actually there is a call on every heart to say, I accept this grace, I accept this mercy, but what do I do with it? And as we look at the people, as we look at the nations, how will they be gathered in? Well, one of the ways they will be gathered in is by us being Jesus to them, being the face of Jesus. And when we read the passage, there's a lovely sense of surprise, isn't there? And it's not all good surprise, it's jazz pedal and uh, disco pedal, if you like. But on the good side, the surprises are we will have done things that have blessed Jesus that we have not even thought about. He says, you won't have realised you did it. You just gave that person a drink or you just welcomed that person. You were on the welcome team here, whatever it was. And actually, as we look at people in prison, and that's mentioned, it's not just people physically in prison, is it? We know that, as, as Jackie prayed earlier on. There are people imprisoned in addiction. There are people imprisoned with mental health challenges and, and huge things going on in our city where we can perhaps do one thing for them. We have one of our flock, if you like, in prison at the moment. And we heard recently this week that he's had his back lacerated uh, and is in the prison hospital. You know, we, we could send cards just to say we haven't forgotten you. That's just one thing that we could do. But I love the fact that there is simplicity in this. And he's saying, how will you get to know me? You will get to know me by seeing me in my people by seeing my face reflected back. So Francis of Assisi writes of wanting to have faith, wanting to earn God's love, wanting to earn God's trust, and being out one day and seeing a leper, and he had been taught, as they all had at that time, to, to ride by, 
not to go near the leper. The lepers, if you know, they used to ring the bell and say, don't come near me. And he felt this incredible compulsion to get off his horse and to go over and to embrace the leper which was just a no-no if you think of some of the modern-day parallels for that. And as he embraced this man riddled with leprosy, he says, I saw the very face of Christ. And that was his first conversion experience. Now, that may not be yours as you perhaps buy a sandwich for somebody this week or you welcome someone or you join a team here. And can I just say on that front, we are a bit short of people for teams at the moment, but one of the things we don't want to do is week after week say, there are gaps, come and fill them. I don't think it says that in this passage, does it? Be a gap filler. But what it does say, it says, welcome a stranger in. Make a drink for someone. These are not big things but they are to Jesus so I just thank you if you're serving in whatever way across the church but if there is a way that one of these things just resonates with you making refreshments think oh well I can say hello to people I can do that then please do come forwards that's just within church but it will bless somebody else and you can be the welcoming face of Jesus because you, you look very lovely. You can be the welcoming face of Jesus for somebody who's coming through our doors. I remember when I first started out quite um, well, about 10 years ago now when I first came to Riverside, we did this thing called the Secret Pastors and we all chose three people that we were going to secretly pastor, uh, that we were just going to keep our eye on. I think that's brilliant. I think we should do it again. You know, now we don't have to do it officially, but just look around you. Look around you here in this body and, and beyond. There are people here that you can just secretly bless, whether it's in secret or whether you send them a card, because we need this love, this love. Uh, I stood in front of that group of North Korean ladies. I think I've got a photo here. Um, and uh, we, we stood in front of them in this underground uh, area where they are, and they're, they're just out of North Korea, some of them, so they're still very post-traumatic. Uh, but we had a great deal, and we received a great deal of prayer from them. And, and I preached to them a bit about love, and uh, I managed to get a saucepan lid from the kitchen. You're doing it all through an interpreter. And I managed to get a big saucepan lid and a, a big stick, and I just banged this gong in front of them and says the Bible says that if we have faith without love we're like a noisy clanging gong that actually it's by our love that we will be the reflectors of Christ the ministers of Christ and they got that they got it I suppose because it was an image that they recognized but actually we can be noisy and goat-like and bleat off and and think that we're actually religious but actually Jesus is a simple message that actually we can be his agents of mercy his agents of grace uh, two of the people who are head of Voice for the Martyrs are on Kim Jong-un's uh, hit list. They are known to him. They drop Bibles uh, across the ocean. They, every summer, launch Gospels uh, through balloons with GPS systems into North Korea and have heard amazing stories, even of a prison officer in one of the camps who found a Gospel and started reading it with two of his friends. Incredible things are going on. Um, but actually, their daughter was an atheist. And she said, oh, you know, I've got super couple as parents. You know, what was it like? She, we were growing up in America, and everybody said, oh, your parents are amazing, and they risk their lives daily. And she said, I just didn't see it. And her brilliant dad said, 
I'm not going to try and persuade you with words. I'm not going to put you on a course. I'm not going to give you something to read. He said, I'm just going to ask you once a week, will you come out on a Saturday and feed the homeless with us? And she said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. Actually, I'd quite like to do that. And so she did that, and she did it for a few weeks. And then one day, she looked around the table of the gathered people to have this food. And she saw women who'd been caught up in prostitution, two of them at the table. She saw one of her friends who'd been struggling with drug addiction. And she looked at the table, and she said to her dad, this is beautiful. And he said, there's something in this, she said, that really, really speaks to me. And he said, this is what the table of Christ looks like. And that was her first real experience of of encountering Jesus through that ministry. And I think this is part of what he's saying. If you want to really get to know me, yes, you're saved by me. Yes, you're safe. But actually, if you really want to get to know me, then actually feed my sheep. He said that to Peter, didn't he? And Peter had got things really spectacularly wrong at times. But actually, he had received mercy And when we have received mercy, when we know what we really deserve, none of us deserve a place at that table. That table of all different sorts of people, that table of all the nations, if you like. And I would say these people that were praying for us here have not been tutored in it. Some of them are literally saying their first prayers. They're hearing the word of God. They're hearing the name of Jesus, some of them for the first time in their lives, and some of them are well into their 60s. And here they are praying for us, and I cannot even begin to describe how powerful that felt. The atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to do with tuition. That's not to do with being a goat, being a religious person. That is to do with the heart. And whatever we make of this passage, and I do think it's a tough one, Whatever we make of it, it's a passage actually about the love of God for his people and his desire is as the shepherd. He doesn't want anyone to be picked off. He wants all of us not only to know him, but to serve him. All of us not to know his rescue, as, but not only to know that, but actually to live that out as well. Uh, This is not a new idea. As you look at scripture, as we look at what um, it says in Isaiah 58, God has always been passionate about this. It's not something that Jesus introduced. It's something that actually, if we look at the Old Testament prophets, uh, he said, what kind of fasting does our Lord require? This is the prophet Isaiah asking, and this is what he says. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor with who wander with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Now, in this passage, your own flesh and blood, I think, changes. You can argue that one, but it seems to me that he calls us brothers and sisters. In other words, if we are the family of God, then we do not turn one another away. But even if it is family, then it comes with a responsibility. And that can be hard enough, can't it? Sometimes just taking care of our own family can be tough. But he's saying, don't turn people away. Now, that's in the Old Testament. So we really have a theme here throughout Scripture that says God cares what happens to the least and the last, to those who other people might overlook. But this is a very Western interpretation, isn't it? Because we easily put ourselves in the position of power. 
because that's what we used to. So, oh, Lord, who can I give a drink to? And I, I caught myself doing it when I read the passage, you know. Who can I reach out to? But the other side of this is that we are the least and the last, aren't we? We're broken, we're messed up, we're fragile. We might have clothes to wear, we might not be physically naked, but actually we have other things going on in our lives where we're in prison. And we're crying out. We might be smiley here on a Sunday, but we're crying out with depression, with loneliness, with isolation. And we are the ones that actually can be ministered to by somebody else. This is about the kingdom being a reciprocal blessing to one another. And I know for me, that can be harder. You know, I'd, I'd rather be the one offering the water sometimes than taking it. But I think there's a challenge in this for both. And what our action is, if we're feeling a bit daunted or intimidated, as I said, it's a simple thing. Invite, most of us can do that, whether it's by a text message, whether it's just saying, do come along to our community group this week, we're having some food together, the open lunch guys, making meals for people, you know, just saying we're here for you, come on in and you're welcome. Clothing people, when Jesus talks about naked people, he's not talking about exhibitionists. He's talking about people who were so poor that they couldn't find something to wear. And therefore, there's something about poverty in that. Feeding people, clothing them, inviting them, and visiting them. You know, I'm not sure that that's something we're as good at as our generations before us. I remember we used to go to church with a car full of people, old people that were just part of a carpool that, that we took to church. And we loved them. And we would be, what, five, seven years old? And we loved them. I remember one of them was uh, just this lovely lady who always had a little scripture to share in the car. And we thought it was brilliant. And, and we were just picking them up. And it was called car service. Now, when my dad, aged 88, wanted to go to church, we couldn't get anybody to come and get him. You know, and I used to think of our car that was so full growing up, just, you know, with all of us squeezed in. But think of the joy of it. Not think in a judgmental way, but just think, well, aren't we missing out then? Because there's a joy in this. And I think that's one of the lovely things that Jesus is saying, that actually, if you want to enjoy my kingdom, if you want to see who I am, if you want to meet with me, if you want to encounter me, then be these things, do these things for one another. So as we close, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for the least of these brothers, not bothers, sorry. <laughs> it was late at night. Um, <laughs> brothers of mine, you did it for me. Uh, and there's just a real joy in that. There will be surprises. There will be surprises in heaven, that's for sure. I think we'll probably be surprised we're there, won't we? Uh, but actually, you know, in a way, we will be surprised who is there. And, uh, um, and actually, sometimes, perhaps, our own judgment makes us a goat and makes us go towards that, when actually we know that we are sheep saved by grace, saved by mercy, and called to share that. When Paul is on the Damascus Road, or when Saul, rather, is on the Damascus Road, he has this incredible conversion experience. And if we think of kind of North Korea and what, what I've been sharing today, or just some of it, he was on that side of things. Saul was killing people. He was persecuting them for believing in Jesus. 
And there are 30,000 Christians in North Korean camps at this time, which is equal to the Jews in the Second World War. And when he has this encounter with the living God, Jesus says, it's me. You know me. You're the one that actually is persecuting me. I'm Jesus who you are persecuting. So the other side of this, and this is the uncomfortable bit, isn't it? This is where the jazz pedal comes on. This is really uncomfortable because it's saying when you overlook people, we neglect the living Christ. When we persecute, when we torment, when we tease, when we neglect, then he's saying, you neglected me. Can be the Jesus for the person that we meet this afternoon, that we meet tomorrow, but also sometimes we can be the one that shows Christ's image to them, that it's reciprocal. We can be the needy in need of a drink, and we can also be the one that offers that. But most of all, this is a passage about the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep and has said, go and feed my lambs as a result of that grace, out of that mercy. So can I just pray for us and uh, just remind us again that it is a gospel of mercy, of grace, of kindness and of rescue for all who trust in the name of Jesus. William Barclay says, when we learn the generosity which without calculation helps a man in the simplest of things, we too will know the joy of helping Jesus Christ himself. Lord, I thank you for those words of, uh, of Margot who said, this is what it's like to sit at Christ's table. And Lord, you have said that if we so much as believe in you and accept you, your forgiveness, your grace and mercy, that we have a place at your table eternally, that we are welcomed into a family of love and forgiveness. And Lord, we're a very mixed bunch of people. All the nations will be gathered. Those who are rich, those who are poor, those who have been the least in this world or have seemed like that will have a place if they trust and believe in your name. And Lord, we pray that we can be the people that show that love to your world. That instead of that horrifying statistic that we've shut our doors and we've shut down our hearts to the stranger, that we can be those who open up our hearts, open up our lives, open up our wallets, open up our diaries, so that Jesus will say, you did it as for me. By your spirit, we pray, lead us into our week. Give us your eyes to see the world as you see it. In the name of Jesus.